So I have the privilege of forming part of our gifting or stewardship series. And uh, this morning I'll be sharing a little bit with how we share or steward with our hands. And, uh, from, but first I want to start with a little bit about Jesus. It's a good place to start, eh? From the beginning of Jesus' life, we see that his life was quite unremarkable. Well, maybe remarkable, but not for the reasons we think it is. Remarkable because he was born in a major, in a stable, uh, not in a private hospital. Or, and his birth is, yeah, his birth remarkably defies our expectations of what we would expect from royalty. We, we, we expect grandiosity, riches, and fame. Um, the other day I asked some of the teens at our formation course what they think, if they were God, how would they enter into the world? And we had like a fun conversation about uh, how, you know, the measures. But none of them came close to saying that being born in a manger to a teenage, single teenage poor girl in the ancient Near Eastern world. <laughs> Jesus keeps defying our expectations. And so I'm yet to ask, if I would, I'm sure if I were to ask you guys the same question, I would not have um, gotten that answer, but now you know the answer. So uh, even, but I think even if we, knowing the Christmas story, we tend not to think that God turns up in unexpected ways. Uh, and I'm sure, yeah, so if I'm, I don't want you to feel bad. Um, I think we're in good company. We're not the only ones who were fooled by the expectations Jesus said. His first disciples constantly missed the point. Uh, if you read through the Gospel of Mark, I think the others as well, but the Gospel of Mark particularly makes fun of the disciples, of how they misunderstood Jesus' mission. Uh, they expected him to be this military revolutionary leader who's going to overthrow the Roman Empire and set them free. They expected someone who's going to bring the sword and destroy their enemies. And so when Jesus repeatedly told them about his impending death, they often struggled to grasp the gravity of his words. Their responses ranged from missing the point entirely or even or denial and even like arguing with Jesus about his own words. Um, and it's striking how these misplaced expectations that we or his disciples had like actually cloud our understanding and also our impact and the actions that we do. Uh, and they significantly impact our conduct. But in order to reorient ourselves, get our minds worked through, I want to look at a story about someone who gives us an object lesson in actually getting the point. And it's a woman who comes up to Jesus and she breaks all the rules. Um, so let me read for you about this story and this encounter. It's from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 1 to 7. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV and you can follow along. On It should appear on the screens uh, or from your Bibles. You're welcome to. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in, the, in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. 
She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped, it with, wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself that was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Now, as we delve into, into this remarkable story, we see act, the actions of a courageous woman, uh, how it comes to the forefront. And in doing so, she challenged societal norms and expectations by and she provides us with a profound lesson in, in getting the point of Jesus' mission, in reorienting our expectations. First and foremost, she dauntlessly chooses to forsake her responsibilities. Once again, do you remember the story in Luke where Mary and Martha, where Mary goes, sits at Jesus' feet, and Martha gets so upset because she's left alone in the kitchen? That story, this is the second time she's doing this, so she's got a, she's got a pattern here. Um, but Mary shocks us more than that. She asks courageously, she courageously uncorks a vial of pure nard. Now, we read in the passage that it's worth a year's worth of wages. That's a lot of money. And she breaks it over and pours it over Jesus' feet. The feet were exceptionally dirty back then. You wore sandals, not even Crocs. Um, and so your feet, you would walk the, wa the road where all the animals and there were no plumbing, so you, you expect, you know... Uh, the, the plumbing, it was in the streets. <laughs> and so people's feet were dirty. But this woman breaks, breaks open this expensive perfume and she pours it over Jesus' feet. Not only that, but she takes her hair and she wipes, it with her, wipes his feet with her hair. Um, it's an act of extravagance, but it's also an act of profound, deep devotion and love that she shows to her king. In a further demonstration, her extraordinary faith, of her extraordinary faith, her hair that she uses to wipe his feet um, would certainly have raised some eyes back then. Um, it's, you know, back then hair was seen as a form of seduction, as a form of temptation towards men, and so men forced women to cover their heads. That's why you see in the ancient world women always wear head coverings. Um, so, in revealing her hair, she actually, um, it's, it's in, similar to having a crop top in some spaces today, or shorts. <laughs> it's, it's, it was seen as a form of seduction in the eyes of society, and she breaks those societal rules. Because, um, because in this remarkable account, we witness a woman who, in her boldness and her disregard for societal expectations, teaches us an invaluable lesson about the nature of Jesus' mission. And we'll break into that a little bit now. But the scene holds profound symbolism. For one, it occurs a week before Jesus' uh, crucifixion. And so her anointing of his feet serves as an anointing for his, and a preparation for his death. But it also carries a powerful message about Jesus' anointing as king. The king over all kings. 
and it breaks our expectations every time. So let's look at it. And so in this act, we witness a remarkable role played by this woman, Mary, in the life of Jesus, in his ministry and in his mission. She assumes a position of immense significance. She basically functions like a prophet or a priest. But this is not our kingdom, because if it were left to us, you know, we wouldn't let us, the smelly people or the poor people or the sinful people anywhere near our kings. We won't let a girl with a crop top uh, anoint our kings. But this is exactly what Jesus did. And this is what makes Jesus' king different from ours. His kingdom is not about excluding people, but it's about including those we deem to be unfit. And this is how Mary reorientates our expectations. And this is what empowers us all. So, in today's passage, it shows us how God's kingdom works. This passage shows us how King Jesus was anointed as king. Yet, this anointing carries an unexpected twist. It doesn't follow our expectations when we observe the royals of our world with their opulence and grand processions in the halls of Abbey and, the, and beautiful halls and beautiful palaces. No, this anointing of Jesus is administered by an unordained priest. There's no ordination requirement for her to, to anoint Jesus. And this whole procession lacks the grandeur and the presence of dignitaries. This king, the chosen one, Jesus, doesn't ascend to a, th a throne adorned with gilded splendor and adoration with gold and all these fancy things that we would expect from royal royalty. No. Instead, this anointing of our King Jesus unfolds discreetly at an intimate dinner gathering with average people like you and me. This humble procession doesn't take place on that of a war horse, but on a humble donkey. And his ascendancy on a throne is none other than being raised on a rugged cross, being brutally murdered. And so we see this unordained woman functions as the person leading the procession of anointing the king of kings. And this is because Jesus' kingdom is not like what we would expect it to be. It's different. We have all these expectations of what it means to do God's work in this world. As one popular theologian, Rachel Held Evans says, in contrast to every other kingdom that has ever been and ever will be, this kingdom belongs to the poor, Jesus said, and to the peacemakers, the merciful, to those who hunger and thirst for God and His righteousness. In this kingdom, the people from the margins and from the bottom rungs will be the lifted up to the places of honor, seated with the best spots at the table. This kingdom knows no geographic boundaries, no political parties, no single language or culture. It advances not through the power and might, but through acts of love and joy and peace, missions of mercy and kindness and humility. This kingdom has arrived not with a trumpet sound, but the baby's cries, not with the vanquishing of enemies, but with the forgiving of them, not on the back of a war horse, but on the back of a donkey, not with triumph and conquest, but with death and resurrection. This is the kingdom of God. This is what we are called into. And this destroys all our expectations. And here lies two lies that we believe about the church. And this ties in with the series we're doing at the gifting course, our gifting series or the stewardship series about how we use our gifts and talents for the extension of God's kingdom. 
it destroys our expectations. The two lies we believe is the first, we think the church needs to be like a Fortune 500 company, where only professionals get to be up here or around here to, be a, to make this thing run. Uh, we must have the most innovative uh, entertainment. We must create the most beautiful um, worship experience with all these crazy things. And so only professionals and maybe the clergy can participate in the life of the church. The second lie we believe is that the church work is only spiritual. Now that's probably one of the biggest lies that we believe about the church. And this is what I want to talk to you about this morning, about these two lies and how we can rethink them. Because I don't want you to be churchgoers. <laughs> I don't want you just to go to church. I don't, want you, I don't just want these seats to be filled here. It does, that doesn't matter in the greater scheme of things. What matters is that we see our roles as kingdom citizens of God's kingdom. Citizens of the King of Kings. And this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Your role as kingdom citizens. There's a huge difference between being a churchgoer and a kingdom citizen. So let's break them down. Let's break these lies down. The first lie. The first problem is that we think of only pastors and professionals can do church work. But Mary in the story shows us that we are all priests. There's a concept in the Bible called priesthood of all believers. And we looked at, a, at that at the, our recent Emmaus course, and it reminded me of that, the importance that all of us are doing God's work. This, standing here, is not God's work. That's part of it. We highlight this stage or word ministry, and we make that as if it's the end all of everything. But that's just a means to an end. We, are, we all have different gifts that we bring to the table, and at the very least, we can serve as a welcoming face to someone in need, or to greet someone, to, see, to look out for new people, to make them feel welcome in a community of love. You know, at every church I served before, I, went, I was at a couple of church plants um, throughout my younger years, and at every church I served in unassuming roles, uh, that of stacking chairs or packing out little leaflets on chairs or pouring the communion glasses or being a welcomer at the door. And I must say, like, every time I f I, th those roles transformed my life more than most sermons I've heard. It's not about the sermon. It's about this community that we're building. It's about being there as people for one another. We're not just rocking you up and then run away quickly at the end to avoid people. We're here to meet each other in our mess, in our brokenness. We're here to be vulnerable because God's kingdom works different to our kingdoms. We don't have to have it all worked out here. It's those roles, you know, the unassuming roles where I rub shoulders with people, uh, with newfound friends uh, where, that has transformed me more than anything. The author of the Message Bible, uh, you probably know the Message Bible and Eugene Peterson. Well, he's an awesome pastor. He passed away a couple of years ago. What a man. Um, there's a biography. If you ever want to read a good biography of a faithful pastor, that's one to read. But Eugene Peterson said this. Um, he said, the most holy place at church is in the parking lot. <laughs> it's not in here. It's not on the stage. It's not in the 
you know, this, the holy spaces that we deem, you know, the altars and the, and the, and the in, it's us. It's the people. It's you and me rubbing shoulders, checking up on one another. We haven't seen so-and-so in a while. Let's check up on her, see if they're doing well. See, they're going through a tough season. Be there, support them. Don't judge them. Don't assume they're, here because they, they're not here because they're lazy. We're here as a community to support one another, to love one another. It's not about me. It's not about the stage. It's not about us as the leaders. We're here to make you see that we are a community, that we are, king, we are the kingdom of God. You don't have to be a professional instrumentalist to, or a vocalist to play up here, to serve through worship. You don't have to be a project manager to help with outreach or conferences or fundraising events. You don't have to be the best gardener to help out in the gardens. But when we all step up together, taking our unique gifts, and we step up and take action in one area, then we start rubbing shoulders as a community and we build relationships and then we make a beautiful thing. We make a mosaic, a kaleidoscope of beauty. But when we, uh, yeah, so the, the second lie we believe is that church work is only spiritual work. And I, I honestly believe this is one of the biggest lies we can believe. It's we centralize this pulpit as if it's the main thing. It's not just this. I think this is one of the most destructive lies because this lie says that only the ordained clergy can do God's work and that God's work is reserved for Sundays. When we believe this, then we centralize word ministries over hand ministries. A big part of my role in writing and preaching sermons is to empower you to go out into this working world out there and show it the love of Jesus. That's what we are called to do. And that's what my mission is by standing here. It's actually to, a means to an end, a means to action. Word ministry is very low in the hierarchy of importance. What is most important is becoming a community. It's forming part that radiates love, that shows the world there's a city on a hill. This place is different. There is love. Therefore, if you're a, um, if you're a lawyer, you can use your gifts as a lawyer to go out and you can give legal advice to those who can't afford it. If you're a doctor, um, I mean, I spoke to a friend who's a doctor this week and he helped out a lady, gave her some advice and, and that's how he, using, how he is using his gifts because she doesn't have medical aid and he can give her advice in, um, and help her. Um, if the same goes for business folks. If you see predatory behavior in, in the business world or in your, in your company or wherever your influence lie, use that influence to, to break um, those oppressive systems that take advantage of poor and vulnerable people. Then it's, it's your duty to be prophetic. And not prophetic in a way that looks at the future, but prophetic in the way in calling out injustice. And your, it's your role to institute better systems that, that leads to the betterment and the flourishing of all humans. If you're a manager of a small business or a, or a business owner, then how do you treat your staff? How do you, what does grace look like in the workshop? What does forgiveness look like? This is the questions we need to be asking about what it means to be kingdom citizens. These are just a few. You see, Mary in our passage today shows us that the work of serving God's kingdom can be done by anyone. In fact, it has to be done by you and me. My job as a pastor is to empower you to go out and do God's work. And my job as a Christian is to do the same thing. 
this is not the only role as a Christian. Uh, as my role is the same as yours, to go out there and to show the world Jesus' love in our, in our ways of, in our areas of influence. We are the priesthood of all believers. You and I are doing church wrong if we think it's about turning up for a Sunday or for me if it's only about the preaching or only about this church. We serve this church. All saints unite the church and we build her up as a means to be an end. We don't worship this institution. We don't worship this building. We take care of it. We steward it because it's a means to facilitate the mission of God. It exists to extend God's kingdom. That's why we, we work and we build her up. And we, because this place becomes a space where we empower one another, where we build relationships to do holy work. The, the parking lot is the holy ground. And so we serve this institute, institution called All Saints so that she would best facilitate a space that fills us spiritually gives us belonging, and that empowers us to be kingdom citizens for God's kingdom. The kingdom of God defies our expectations. We looked at that earlier. God doesn't rock up in the ways that we think he should. He defies our expectations every time. He doesn't extend his kingdom through kings and queens and the rich and famous. We always get so excited when a celebrity say like they're a Christian. That's not how God works. Fine, it's amazing if, they, if they're worshipping God. But God works through you and me. That's who he works through. Not, we don't have to wait till Justin Bieber becomes a Christian before we, we get excited <laughs> about, oh, he's doing God's work. He's going to get so many people to follow Jesus. No, that's us. Our cynical selves often tells us that, you know, this Jesus stuff doesn't work in the real world. You know, we, we read about forgiveness, we read about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. We read about these things in the Bible, and we say these things wouldn't work in the real world. And so in situations of injustice, conflict, manipulation, betrayal, disrespect, we feel this righteous anger burning inside of us, um, saying we want retribution, we want to enact vengeance. And, you know, Paul in his letters talks about the powers and principalities. And I believe when we get so self-righteous about our anger that burns inside of us, that we want to enact justice, um, retribution, retributive justice, it's like the powers and principalities taking hold of our hearts. They wrap themselves around our hearts in this righteous indignation. It's like the... Uh, the the movie Lord of the Rings, where Smeagol finds the ring, and the ring changes Smeagol, and he turns into this greedy pressure into Gollum, yes. He turns into Gollum, and he turns into this ugly monster. That's what greed and self-righteous anger, resentment, bitterness does to our hearts. It turns us into Gollums. It turns us into ugly people. So Paul talks about the powers and the principalities, but Jesus frees us from that. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And being a kingdom citizen means taking on that posture. It means we live in the resurrection, knowing that Jesus has defeated those powers, and we too are liberated from its clutches. 
That is why we are called to embody what the world calls naive. That is why we forgive. That is why we love and why we have joy, why we make peace, why we have patience, why we are kind, why we are promoting goodness, why we are faithful, why we are gentle, why we have self-control, because this is the way to life. The other way leads to destruction. See, just before Jesus was captured, Peter pulled out his sword in righteous indignation, ready to wage war against the Roman soldiers. But Jesus says, no, put it away. He heals the man's ear that he just cut off. He forgives. He shows love. He says, this is my way. My way is the way to life. This is the way to death. Bitterness and hate, self-indignation, these things corrupt us. When we use our stewardship of our gifts, it should stem from that posture, the way of life, from the way of Jesus. The world can call us naive, but in the words of John Lennon, you may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. <laughs> we have the whole history of church history showing us that the kingdom of God exists, that the kingdom of God has outlived every empire since its inception. The king of kings lives, has outlived every king that has come before him, uh, come after him. We still worship that king. We still serve that kingdom. That kingdom is different. It doesn't work through our expectations. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's subversive. It's not, it doesn't work itself out through grandiosity. When we use the stewardship of our gifts, it should stem from that posture. The world will call us naive. But I say, again, in the words of John Lennon, you may call me a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. So in conclusion... This woman, Mary, she shows us something really cool. She showed us that we are called into a spiritual calling, a special calling, sorry, but that we don't need to be special to live it out. We're called into a special calling, but we don't have to be special to live it out. The kingdom of God is extended by, through people like you and me, coming together, working together, rubbing shoulders with one another, in our messiness. And we use our different gifts to build our local churches so that it can be effective in training up and empowering more people to do the same. But it doesn't stop there. It calls on us to go out into the world to show it the love of God. Through both our vocations and our conduct. And when all of these things come together, it should come together out of a posture of a loving and forgiving crucified king. A crucified God. For most religions, that's heresy. Say that God is crucified. That God and lived and breathed that smelly feet, stinky feet, dirty feet, walked the, the, the roads that we walked. That's the God we serve. Not the God of awesome throne rooms and things. So if you feel moved to take action and get involved here in the life of all saints, then please grab a stewardship form um, at the back there and pray about an area or two. We broke it up into, I think there's over 40 ways that we can serve this church um, in different ways, up front, behind the scenes. But it's about coming together as a community and rubbing shoulders with one another, building relationships, becoming that community, that city on a hill that radiates the love of God. And if you already serve at the church, then thank you so much for your service. We, uh, we couldn't do this without a community of dedicated servants. And we appreciate you so much.
And um, I just want to end with the reminder that we are all called to be kingdom citizens. Whether you're serving this church or whether you're out in the world, we are called to radiate God's love. We are called to embrace and love a hurting world. We are not called to contribute to its pain. Remember how God entered this world, not with might as a baby, but as a baby born to a poor single teenage girl. God achieves his purposes through the unremarkable, through the unexpected, through people like Mary, through people like you, through people like me. That's what it means to be a kingdom citizen. So I want you to pray about that, but let me pray for us as we conclude here.